Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Hey, so glad that you are here today. I want to say welcome to those of you that are here in the room, those of you that may be joining us online. I just heard um, this last week, folks in Utah, folks in North Carolina, South Carolina, all that join us on a regular basis on Sundays. So both here in Northwest Ohio, but also kind of all around the country and the world. So glad that you're here. Welcome those of you that are joining us by television or by podcast as well. We started last week a new series that we are calling Reset, kind of ways that at the beginning of this year and even in the midst of kind of a crazy season, how God can kind of put some things at place in our lives. I was honestly really surprised by the number of people who came to me afterwards and said, I need a reset. Like, I need that in my life. Like, for all kinds of reasons. As simple as I'm weary. As simple as I'm grieving something. As simple as I don't know what's coming in the future. For those of you that may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's that reset that comes and changes us. If you need forgiveness, if you need hope, maybe what you need is, as we talk about this, maybe for things in your life to kind of get lined up in a certain way, not that you do it, but that Jesus does it, and what he brings to our lives is a reset. Do any of you have um, like a space in your home or maybe on the job that is your space, like it's where you keep your stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like maybe you've got a desk, maybe it's an area in your kitchen, maybe it's you, you, you've got a craft or a hobby, you keep it there. Maybe you have a workbench where you keep your tools and you like to keep things a certain way. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Any of you get angry when someone violates that space? Do we need to pray through that at all before we move on? Right? For me, it's, it's my workbench, right? And so I've got, I've got my tools that are there, and you've, you've got all these things. And from time to time, you have to come over, and you have to kind of just rearrange things. You get something new, so you put it there. Or things get used, they don't get put back. Or sometimes people in my house think the workbench is where everything we don't know where it goes is where it goes. Can I get an amen? And I'm guilty of it most of the time, so I don't need that look. And so um, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. And then every so often... You go over there and you go, this thing's a mess. Like I need to take some time and deal with the disorganization, deal with the mess, deal with the clutter. What this area needs is a reset. Sometimes it's not my workbench. Sometimes it's my heart, my mind, my spiritual life that starts to get a little cluttered, disorganized, crowded, dirty, and what I need is somehow, and usually it's someone, to come and bring to me a reset. Here's my encouragement. You can try all you want, but life finds a reset in Jesus. It's when we bring ourselves to him, to God's son, who lived and died and rose again and lives today, that's when these things change our lives. So what we're gonna look at today is an example of someone who came to Jesus and found a reset. What's, what's even cool about this story for many of you is it's not so much that she came to Jesus, but actually Jesus came to her and brought a reset to her life. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter four today. Whether you're here in the room, watching online, I encourage you to grab your Bibles, whether in a print or a digital form. And uh, we're gonna look at a story from John chapter four. We're gonna kind of read through this whole story today we don't know her name. Traditionally, we just refer to her as the woman at the well. 
It's probably a story that you're familiar with. And where I wanna start is at the end. Because at the end of the story, that's where she finds this reset we're talking about. So we'll go back and look at the whole process she has to go through. But let's start at the end of the story. John chapter 4, verse 28. She's had this encounter with Jesus. Here's where the reset happens. It says, then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Here's something really significant. What you're going to see in a moment is that the whole reason that this woman is on this journey from the village out to this spot is because she wants to fill up her water jar. But when she gets there, she leaves this. it It was probably some earthenware container. We don't know exactly what it was made of, how big it was. Probably something she carried either on her shoulder or kind of on her hip, and she would go from her home and she would go out to this well and that was the whole reason she was there but after her encounter with Jesus, she left it there and leaving her water jar behind. Now look, we could just look at that and go, that's just a a little detail. But a lot of people think that the reason John put that little detail in there is because it's symbolic of something else. She didn't just leave her water jar behind. There were a lot of other things that she left behind because when she encountered Jesus, it changed her life. So things that she had been carrying for much of her life, she left behind and had a reset. Does that make sense? Look, I wanna challenge you that oftentimes the way the reset happens in our lives is that we have to leave some things behind. There have to be some things in our lives that we're willing to say, I'm not gonna carry this anymore. I'm not gonna hold on to this anymore. I'm not gonna let this define me anymore. I'm not gonna let that be the thing that directs my life. Instead, Jesus, I leave this behind and I give it to you. That, I believe, is where a reset begins. Now, this is a really interesting story. We're, we're gonna read through it because what you're gonna find is she has this encounter with Jesus and then she changes the subject. And she has an interaction with Jesus, and then she makes an excuse. And she has a conversation with Jesus, and then she tries to steer it another way. And over and over again in their encounter, they keep having these moments where she changes the subject, where she makes these excuses. But with each one, Jesus is guiding and leading something in her life. And he works through this process. So let's go back to the beginning of the story, and I want to show you some things that this woman has to leave behind that may speak to your life as well. Back to the very beginning, John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he's going from Galilee, or excuse me, he's going from Jerusalem in the south, north to Galilee. To do that, you got a couple of roads you can go. One choice is to go over the Jordan River and kind of go out and around and then come back over. And that's the road that a very, very extremely strict Jewish person would take because you didn't want to go through Samaria because those people in Samaria, they were considered half-breeds. They were considered a lower class. They were impure religiously, historically, politically, culturally, racially, The Jewish people looked down on them and said, if I don't have to go through there, I'm not going through there. But a lot of people, like Jesus' disciples and he, decided that they were willing to go that way anyways because to go out and around would take you about twice as long. Instead, if you would just go straight up through Samaria, it was only about a three-day journey, and for whatever reason, Jesus and his disciples said, that's the way we gotta go. 
So they went straight through Samaria, through what would kind of be like, I don't, I don't want to go there. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Who are Jacob and Joseph? Those are Old Testament heroes, right? Going back to the Old Testament. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, because they probably left about six in the morning, and it's hot, and they're traveling. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So they'd been traveling for about six hours, and they get there to Jacob's well, which we assume was probably a bit of a crossroads if you were taking that journey. It was a place where you would stop and maybe almost view it like a rest area, a place where you would come to and, and kind of stop. And Jesus rests there at the well because they've been walking for a good six hours. They're tired. It's hot. All these things are happening. And what was customary is if you were the teacher, if you were the rabbi, you would sit while your disciples or your, your students, your, your, those you're teaching, they would go, they would get the food, they would prepare it, and then they would come back and they would enjoy the meal together. So Jesus says, look, look, fellas, why don't you go into the village, why don't you get some food, run over to Kroger or Meyer, whatever they have, and, and get some stuff, and then bring it back. I'm gonna sit here and rest, because sometimes it's just nice to be away from your family, isn't it? I don't know if that's why, but he's like, I'm gonna sit here and rest. You guys go do your thing. And so Jesus is resting there at the well, and that sets up what happens next because this woman's gonna show up and we already know she's carrying her water jar, but she's carrying a whole lot more that ultimately God wants her to leave behind. Five, five things we'll look at. Here's the first one, number one, there's a challenge to leave your inadequacies behind. Number one, to leave your inadequacies behind. Have you ever, you ever made or built something that you, you know it, you build it, you put it together, or you maybe build it from scratch and other people see it and they're like, oh, that's awesome, you did such a good job, that looks great. But when you look at it, what's the first thing your eye is drawn to? The flaws, the things that aren't right. I've told before about when, um, when we found out we were, we were gonna have our, our first uh, son, Clayton, that, that I was so excited I was gonna be a dad and we lived in this tiny little apartment in Milwaukee at the time and we went out and we bought this crib and I was so excited because I'm a man, I'm gonna be a dad, I'm putting this thing together. And we bought the crib and spread it all out in the living room and got all the pieces together and man, I built that thing and when it was done, I stepped back and I thought, I'm a man. Like, this thing's beautiful, you know, kind of thing. And so now it's time to go take it into the nursery. And so we wheel it down the tiny little hallway only to realize that the crib is bigger than the door into the, into the bedroom, right? But I'm not worried because I'm a man. So I, I've, I realize what I have to take apart, but in the process of taking that prefab furniture apart, because they're made to be put together, but God never intended for them to be torn asunder, Right? And so in the process of taking it apart, I put this huge gouge in the side of it. And for years afterwards, every time I went to that crib, it was a beautiful crib. It had a beautiful baby in it. Do you know what the first thing my eyes always saw? <laughs> the gouge. I went right to the thing that wasn't right. I focused on my inadequacies. That's how this story leads. Look at this, John chapter four, verse seven when a Samaritan woman, remember those words because they're key. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. You remember that, right? 
So the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So three times in that little passage of scripture, she is referred to as the, anybody? (laughs) Samaritan woman. It defines her over and over and over again. And that's huge because already when you say Samaritan, you have this kind of deep and bitter conflict between her and Jesus, between a Samaritan and a Jew. Because the Jews would have looked down on the Samaritans and the Samaritans did not like the Jews. And so there's this tension. And she's like, how is it that you're here at my well having this conversation with me? Because spiritually, religiously, culturally, racially, politically, historically, we don't get along. And then she points out that she's a woman Because what that means is there's a real distinction in that class. See, Jesus should not be talking to her. They shouldn't even be having this conversation because she's a woman, which makes her much lower in social status. So now you not only have a religious and political and racial distinction, now you have a gender distinction that has really separated the two of them, all of which puts her in a place that Jesus should be looking down on her. And then it gets a little little trickier, too, to think about Because when she comes to the well, she's by herself. In that culture, women would kind of travel in groups. I was gonna say packs, but that didn't seem to be the right thing to say. Groups, they'd travel in groups. And, And they would come together, but she's by herself, which means she probably didn't have a posse she hung out with. And she comes at noon. If you're gonna go get water in the Middle East, do you think in the hottest part of the day is the right time to go? These groups would go to the well early in the morning or they would go later in the day. They would go when it was cooler. But it's interesting that she comes by herself in the hottest part of the day, which means that either she doesn't want to be around other people or other people don't want to be around her. And for some reason, she is religiously, socially, historically, politically, racially, as her gender and also in her culture and neighborhood, she is an outcast in every way. So when you look at this woman, every time she is referred to as the Samaritan woman, it is highlighting all the things that are wrong about her. And as a result, she finds herself alone. And for Jesus to even speak to her actually was quite inappropriate. Many people would perceive that he was flirting with her in some way or another. So you can imagine all the tension that's right here in this moment, in this passage, to have that feeling that her whole life has been defined by her inadequacies. As she carries her jar, she's marked by what she is and what she isn't and how it compares to others. And so we'll use this kind of weird little wobbly jar to represent that today. About a week ago, there was a family in Colorado that was doing some cleaning up, kind of downsizing a little bit, and they had this old recliner that they had had for years, and so they decided, it's time to get rid of that thing. So they loaded it up, took it over to like a thrift store, like a Goodwill-type place, do you know what I'm talking about? Where you can take stuff, you know, and so they, they took it to the thrift store, left it there. They leave, a couple of hours later, some workers hear something weird, and they go over to this recliner, and they start looking at it, and inside, like in the very back of it, nestled all in there, is a cat. So this cat's in the back of this recliner. And so they call animal services and they come over and they get the cat out. No, no cats were harmed in this sermon illustration, just so you know that. But a few hours later, 
the family's at home and all of a sudden somebody says, have you seen the cat? Do you know where our cat is? And they, they start putting two and two together and they call the thrift store and they're like, oh yeah, animal control came and took your cat. That poor cat. Can you imagine that? Now actually the cat might've went, I wish they'd just leave me alone, right? I don't know cats, right? But some of you know what that feels like to feel like the people that you depended on abandoned you, the place you thought you belonged actually tried to get rid of you. Like what, what is it in your inadequacies, just like this woman that you have a tendency to focus and fixate on? Like in your life, what keeps you from being accepted, successful, admired, loved? Sometimes it's good for us to identify those things and realize that when Jesus sees us, he sees beyond that. He, he accepts you, inadequacies and all, and what he wants to bring to your life is forgiveness. He wants to bring his grace. His love for you isn't defined by all the things that you see in yourself and you think are wrong, and what he wants to bring you is a reset. But what's key is that you can't just Keep holding on to that thing. At some point, just like the woman in the story, you've gotta be willing to leave that jar behind and allow Jesus to give you a reset. That's the first thing that we see in this story. Let's jump to a second one, because not only do you have to leave your inadequacies behind, but I think it's important that you leave your lack behind. The things that you lack in your life. Maybe we'll call it emptiness. Maybe we'll call it your needs. Maybe we'll call it what just doesn't seem fulfilled in your life. If we're honest, somewhere for all of us, there's, there's this hole in our lives, this void in our hearts that can only be filled by what God can do. And we try to fill it with so many other ways, but at some point we have to recognize it's only Jesus that can fill the emptiness in our hearts. Isn't that true? I'm so glad you're enthusiastic. Like, isn't that true? Like, like, look at this story. Here we go. John chapter four, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Like she's immediately thinking of like a, a fresh flowing stream and they're standing there at this well now, we're pretty sure, archaeologically, that we know where that well is, and it's still a well today. And it, it, it's about 100 feet deep today. That's how, how, how deep, how down low it goes, and probably was even deeper in Jesus' day. So you can't just kind of get a scoop and go for the water. Typically, travelers would, would travel with like a, a, almost like an animal skin bucket that they would use, that they would lower down in the well, and then use it to retrieve water. But Jesus doesn't have that apparently because she says, well, what, are you gonna, what are you gonna use? So probably it's something that one of the disciples had, but Jesus doesn't have anything. So she's physically seeing this and saying, how are you gonna get me this water? I have a need for it, but how, how are you gonna do this? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty 
and have to keep coming here to draw water. The woman saw the need in her life, but she was focused on the physical when Jesus wanted to do a deeper, more spiritual work. Isn't that true? And how many times is that true that we sense a void, we sense an emptiness, and we try to fill it with all kinds of things in our lives when ultimately it's not that those things are bad, it's not that those things aren't necessary, but those aren't the things that are gonna fill that lack, that emptiness, that void that we have inside. She was looking for something, and I don't even think she knew what it was. Where is the emptiness that that you have? I'm gonna guess for every one of us, there's some spot of grief, of loss, of, of difficulty, some place where you need love or empathy or forgiveness, and you know that you can't fill it on your own, and you need something or someone to fill it. And that only comes from Jesus. Look, I already mentioned that that was at the, the impetus of why this church was even started 70 years ago, right? Anybody go to the birthday party? I heard it was great. Seven years ago. Why? Because there's too many lost people. And we want them to know the grace of Jesus. That's why we focus on missions. That's why it matters. Because people need to find what only Jesus can bring. When um, probably, I don't know, it's, it's probably six, seven years ago now, I had the privilege of going to Madagascar and spending some time there with Jane Carey Rostefer and a group of us that, that went and, uh, and saw the work that God was, was doing there. And um, one of the things that they were in the process of doing at that time was, was working on planting churches, just like we want to partner with them financially and in prayer here in this next year. And so Jay said, well, one of the days we're going to go out to a place where we want to plant a new church. So their process was this. They would identify a, a city, a town, a village, say that's where we're going to plant the church. Then they would start visiting there and try to meet some people of influence or, or insight that they could get some ideas about how this would go. Then they would scope out a place to go and hold, and a little bit different than how you would do it probably in our culture in the States today, but not unlike some things that would have happened you know, in the past, right? They would go and they would just find a spot and then hold these like open air services, music, preaching. They just set up in a, in a schoolyard or in a town square or even just a, a, a crossroads of some kind. And then out of that, they would gather people and, and maybe get some folks who were interested and then eventually send a pastor, and that's how they'd start a church. So they were at the part in this process where it was time to hold some services there. So a couple days before, Jay says, we're gonna go out there and Chad, you can preach. And I was like, but I don't think I want to. <laughs> right, because it's, it's a little bit of an interesting situation, right? Because you're just going out, you don't know these people, I don't know what it's like, I don't speak the language, I gotta preach to an interpreter. I kind of was like, I'd be happy just to kind of, you know, just sit there, and he's like, no, you're preaching. I was like, okay. So as I prayed about it, I got really excited, it's kind of cool, and just a real simple kind of message about what Jesus had done. And so then we get out there, and the music had played, and we set up the sound system and did all this stuff, and then you just kind of start, and you hope somebody shows up, and nobody showed up. <laughs> and then somebody showed up, and then a few more somebodies. And eventually, there was a big kind of ring of people around us, about 100 people that were standing there. And so then it's getting closer to my turn, and I'm starting to get a little bit more nervous. 
And I get up there, and I don't speak the language, so I would, would preach, and then there'd be a translator. So if you've never done anything like that, it's really, it's, it's kind of an interesting process, because you say a few words, and then my friend here would, would translate it into Malagasy, and then I'd say a few words, and then he'd, he'd say it in their language, and I'd say a few words, and then he'd translate it so they could understand it. And so it's kind of a weird process, especially when you're used to just standing here and rambling forever on a Sunday morning. It's a little different, right? And so we do this, and we had already arranged it how this would go. So I, I preached this message, super simple, just about God's love, what Jesus had done, how he died on the cross, he paid the price for our sins, and we could know forgiveness and grace, and our lives could have purpose and meaning through what Jesus had done. And then we, we had set it up in such a way that when I was done preaching, I would step back, and then Jay would step in, because he was kind of the familiar face, he knew how they were gonna move it forward, and then he would give kind of an invitation if people wanted to respond, to, to give their hearts to Jesus. And so I finish up preaching this sermon and then I step over to the side and you already know I'm a giant in the faith. Can I get an amen? amen. Which is why I'm standing there going, that was terrible. God, I don't think you could ever use that. And I don't think anybody's gonna respond. And then Jay gives this invitation based on the things that we had just shared. And almost to a person, these people raise their hand and say, I wanna know more. I need Jesus in my heart. And I'm standing there going, I'm a better preacher than I thought. <laughs> and the Lord said, or they're hungrier than you knew. Because what they know is the lack that's in their life. And what they need is Jesus. That's why missions matters. That's why we ask you to take some time this week and just pray and say, God, how would you have us partner and be involved in this? Pray and say, God, would you have me to go on a missions trip? Pray and say, who in my family or in my neighborhood or on my job or in my school has an emptiness that only you can fill? And then Jesus, how do you want to use me? The, the trick is, though, if all you do is hold on to that, you'll never see a difference in your life. At some point, you have to be willing to say, Jesus, I give you my lack. I give you my emptiness. Oftentimes, though, and this is what we're going to see in this story, that, that lack or that emptiness seems to come from a couple of places in our lives. One of those places that we sometimes see it come from and, and is important for us to recognize is you have to leave your relational baggage behind. You may have to leave your relational baggage behind behind. I kind of picked the big, almost gaudy orange one for this one, because oftentimes this is the thing we see the most in our lives. We let ourselves be defined by our relationships, by conflict, by what we've done, by what other people have done to us. Sometimes if we're going to get a reset in our lives, We've got to choose to leave some of that behind and move forward. Let me show you her story. John chapter four, verse 16. Remember, this is, has been this little, this little kind of back and forth on this. You know, she says, well, I'm a Samaritan woman. And then he talks about the living water. And then he told her, go call your husband and come back. Well, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you've had five husbands and the men you now have is not your husband. She just got busted, did she not? What you've just said is quite true. Watch this. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Do you see how she changed the subject real quick? <laughs> like, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna talk about that, she says, time out. But he had just called her out and highlighted the thing that had affected her life in so many ways. 
And honestly, it was her relational baggage, if you will. Five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What's the story there? Wouldn't you like to know? Like, I wonder, was she just promiscuous? I read one commentator that referred to her as a serial fornicator. How'd you like that on your business card? Or some people think that maybe she'd been abandoned. Maybe that man after man after man after man after man had mistreated her, abused her, left her. Truth is, we don't know. Oftentimes, we'll read a passage like that through our own frame of reference and experience. Here's what we do know. She's at the well at noon by herself. So she's not part of the in crowd. And whatever her choices or experiences have been have left her that wherever she goes and what she does, she's marked by those things. What do you do if you have that kind of emotional baggage, relational baggage in your life? I'll give you just a couple of thoughts that I think are really important that if you're in a place like that, or you're trying to help somebody walk through a place like that, make sure you start with Jesus, right? That's what we're talking about here, that you don't hold on to this thing, and that you don't let this thing be what defines you. Like, here's, here's the thing. Oftentimes we think, well, this is just what I am. And what Jesus wants to show her is that he has so much more in store than just that for her. The problem is, and we'll see this as we talk about this for, for a few minutes here, is that oftentimes, when I have issues like that, I try to fix them. I try to make them right. I try to be the one that comes up with a good plan or a PR campaign, when actually where I need to start is just say, Jesus, I give this to you. Because you know better than anybody else why I'm carrying this picture. So I give this to you. And then I think something that's really key is that you thrive where you are. Because oftentimes when we come to terms with this is what I've got, our first, our first response is to want to just get away from it. You know what's interesting about this lady is once she deals with this picture with Jesus, she doesn't go right to U-Haul and get a moving van. She goes right back to the village that didn't want to go to the well with her and says, this is where I live, but I've got to tell you, I'm different and I'm changed. And there's something new about me here that I want you to see. You thrive where you are. And when it comes time to change things, make sure that you don't change it by yourself, but that you and God change it together. That you say, God, how would you have me to do this? Not just my own bright ideas, but Lord, what does your word say? What, what, what does your wisdom say? What does your spirit speak to my heart about this? And when the spirit does speak to your heart, don't change the subject. <laughs> Because she kept trying to steer it away. She kept trying to, hey, how about, well, what about, and, and let the Spirit speak to your heart on this. And then let Jesus do his work. Can I tell you that a lot of times this is so difficult for us because we let our relational baggage, our past, our history, our experiences be the thing that not only defines who we are, but determines where we go next. And there's more work that can be done if you'll allow God to help you work that out. We've got some friends that recently um, bought a house. The market's been crazy, hasn't it? So sometimes you have to move a little quicker than you want to. So they bought this house and they knew that it had been a rental, but they did not know just how bad the renters had treated it. Anybody ever been there? 
right? You seen this? And so they've got this house and, and, and the longer that they live there and the more that they work on it, the more they realize how messed up this house is, how badly it's been treated to the point that my friend was out in the driveway not too long ago and, and this car drove by real slow and they stopped and said, we used to live in that house. And then after that is when it became a rental. They said, we really loved that house. We took good care of it. It was once really beautiful and cherished, but boy, has it been mistreated and abused. And so now my friends have the responsibility of having to renovate this place. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of surprises. And room after room, they're kind of slowly moving through that process. But with each room, there's beauty that's restored. With each project, there's more value that comes back to the point that I really do believe that someday it's gonna have more value and beauty than it initially had. It's just gonna take quite a process because sometimes that kind of renovation takes time. Like, I don't know what kind of abuse or bad decisions or challenges your house has been through, but I do know the master renovator. Anybody else? And I know that if you'll trust him, if you'll put that in his hands, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what the process is gonna be. I don't know how much you're gonna find along the way, but he doesn't want you to be defined just by that baggage in the past. He wants to make something beautiful out of it, which means you may have to say at some point, Jesus, I'm gonna leave that in your hands. Oftentimes our, our inadequacies and our needs, our lack come out in how we view ourselves and the things we've been through. There's a second category though that I think is good for us to talk about for just a minute and you see it in this woman's story that sometimes you have to leave your religion behind. Sometimes you have to leave your religion behind. Do, do you know there's a difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus? Do you know that? Like there's a difference between the two. But this story has a lot to do with religion. Watch the conversation. So remember, Jesus calls her out. Five husbands, not the guy you're with now. Hey, you know, he kind of calls her out. And she's like, aren't you a prophet? Let me change the subject. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. It's interesting that she says our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. We archaeologically have an idea where Jacob's well is. And from that spot, you can look up and you can see Mount Gerizim. So the Jews worshiped in Jerusalem. That's where their temple was on the holy temple mount, Mount Zion. But for the Samaritans, because they wouldn't go to Jerusalem, they built their own temple hundreds of years before this on Mount Gerizim. And then a couple hundred years before this conversation, that temple was destroyed by an enemy, but you could still see the ruins of the temple that had been there. And so when this woman says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, she's pointing right at the mountain she's talking about. Like that's, that's the picture that's here. So she says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews, you worship somewhere else. And, and Jesus replied, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit 
and in truth. Isn't it interesting? 2,000 years ago, they were still fighting over theology, right? (laughs) There were these divisions, there were these conflicts, there were these things about religion that actually divided people. And it's not any different today. Religion can still have an effect on people because it highlights our differences in certain ways. And sometimes it's interesting for us to just kind of stop and talk about our differences. So let's take just, just a moment. If you're watching on TV or online, you can join us for this, but we're gonna, we're gonna vote on a few things. Is that okay? And uh, you, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand on these things. And, and I'm watching, and if you don't raise your hand, I will tell God, okay? Is that, is that all right? Here we go. So here's, here's the deal. I'll give you two options. You vote which one you, you believe. Which came first, chicken or egg? How many of you say chicken? How many of you say egg? How many of you say this is stupid? Okay, all right, we're gonna keep going anyways, all right? When you eat a sandwich, all right, you have a sandwich, do you cut it horizontally or diagonally? All right, horizontal people? All right, diagonally? Just put it in my mouth, anybody? All right, okay, we got a few. How about this one? This, this one, I think, is one God keeps track of. Pepsi or Coke? How many are Pepsi people? How many are Coke people that need to repent? Okay, all right. <laughs> Okay, I mean, I don't have an idea, but okay, cool. All right, this one's a little more nerdy, so this one might not be everybody. Star Wars, Star Trek. All right, where are the Star Wars people? All right, Star Trek people? All right, okay, all right. Okay, last one, smooth or chunky peanut butter? Oh, apparently that's a <laughs> sore spot for that little group right up there. Yeah, we'll work that out after service. All right, smooth, chunky, Yeah, (laughs) I learned after the last service. I went, all right, smooth people, chunky people, don't say that. Don't say that. You shouldn't say that, right? But you notice we got all kinds of opinions. Now, what if I started to throw in some religious issues, some theological matters? What if I talked about some cultural things? What if I talked about some political stuff? What if I talked about some of the things that we've been talking about? All of us would sense some tension in a conflict that's come real quick. Because based on some of our religious opinions and ideas, it has caused great tension lately. Things that people wish they hadn't said, posts they wish they had deleted sooner. Tension that has come in so many different ways, so much of it in the name of religion. And that's not even hitting on the fact of what was your experience? Where did you grow up? How have you experienced religion? Like like so many times I talk to people and they say, I really wanna love God, but what happened to me in this church or by that pastor or what those Christians said has actually separated me more from God than it has drawn me to him. You ever met anybody like that? Like, and oftentimes, we define our relationship with God based on our religious experience because that's what's happening here. This was a religious place. It is the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. It's the, it's the place where heroes lived and legends were made and they're fighting over mountains. And at some point, Jesus says, you can hold on to this, but it's only gonna hold you back. Because he says, look, there's a time coming. And I love how he says, and it's now come. Like that's a messianic word of prophecy. He is saying, I am the one who can change this. And there is a time coming when those who truly worship will worship in the spirit. What's that mean? You don't have to go to a mountain. You don't even have to get to church at just the right time on Sunday. Because the spirit is there and he is with you always. We're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit. Do not miss next week. Because we're gonna talk about the reset that the spirit brings to our lives. And he says, look, we worship in spirit and we worship. We don't have to wonder. We worship in truth. And he says, do not let these things 
that have hurt you or wounded you or confused you or where you've been mistreated or misled, don't let them hold you back. You leave that behind and let Jesus change you because ultimately, this is where this comes in. If you need a reset in your life, then you leave yourself behind. Jesus is challenging her. He's saying to her, there's a difference that God can make in your life. And you leave yourself behind. Your inadequacies, your emptiness, your relational baggage, your religious experience. And Jesus says, I'm just asking you to bring it all to me and give me yourself. Back to the story, John chapter four, verse 25. They've been through this subject, changing the subject, making excuses, running through all of this. And then the woman said, she's actually changing the subject here again, but she walks right into it. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The one you're looking for, it's me. The thing that your life needs, I'm it. And if you need a reset, you won't find it anywhere else. You'll only find it when you give yourself to me. This is all about finding Jesus and letting him change your life. We started at the end of this story and then we went back to the beginning and we worked our way through. And if you remember, she leaves her jars behind. She goes back to the village. And after she does that, watch what happens next. John chapter four, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, in Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, so now you got a whole crew of them coming from the town out to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world, I love that. Now we have heard for ourselves. Look, for some of you, the spirit of God is speaking directly to you. And maybe this is the, the millionth time you've been in church, but you've still been carrying these jars of inadequacy and lack and your relational baggage and your religion. And today he says, would you just give those things to me? And maybe you've never had that kind of an encounter with Jesus. And today what he wants to do is bring a freedom and a forgiveness and a grace to your life like you've never known before. You may be watching this and you've not known the hope and the peace that Jesus can bring. It starts by recognizing who he is and simply saying to him, I've gotta know you for myself. I give you my life. I give myself to you. When you leave yourself behind, you find Jesus for yourself. And here's the thing. For some of us, we need to stop making excuses. We need to stop changing the subject and let God's spirit speak to our hearts. So in just a moment, we're, we're gonna come to the Lord's table and sharing communion. So if you have the elements, I'll ask you just to kind of, I wouldn't open them yet. I just kind of hold them in your hand for a minute. If you're joining us by television or online, maybe you have a moment to, to find something where you can join us for communion here. 
Paul tells us that when we come to the Lord's table, we're supposed to stop and examine our own hearts. So how about this? Would you, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? And let's just do that. Let's examine our hearts. It could be that you have so defined your life by what you think is not right with you. And today Jesus would say, give your inadequacies to me. It may even be that as you examine your own heart, you know that there's things where you need to ask his forgiveness. There's no better time than right now, this moment, to say, Jesus, I confess my sin and I need your forgiveness in my life. For others of us, we've been looking to fill something in our lives with other people, with other things. Some of those things maybe even have really done us harm. And today's the day to say, Jesus, I give you my lack. Would you fill the emptiness in my heart? Before we come to the Lord's table and remember what Jesus did for us, some of us have emotional or relational baggage. We need to say, Jesus, I don't want to be defined by this anymore. I don't want my life to be just all about this. I give it to you. For some of you, that's been something that has been at the top of your mind for years. For some of you, it's something you're really painfully walking through right now. And Jesus wants you to know no matter what, you are his child. And he wants to help to renovate your heart. And for some of us, we have been hurt or disappointed in the church. And this is a moment where God is speaking to you and saying, leave that religion behind and come and have a relationship. Know the freedom that only I can bring. And there's a good chance that there's somebody in this room or you're watching or listening to this service today. And what you really need is not just to leave a jar behind, you need to give your life to Jesus. And say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own anymore. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your life. I need your help. And let Jesus change your life today. So today, before we come to the Lord's table, if you would say, I know Jesus as my Savior and Lord, or if you would say today, I need to begin that relationship with him, would you pray this simple prayer with me? I'll lead us and then you repeat this after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today that you would forgive my sin and be my savior. I give my life to you, my risen Lord. I leave behind the things that have defined me, the things that have kept me, and I give my life to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians chapter 11, 
Paul gives us instructions for when we come to the Lord's table. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And so I'll invite you to go ahead and peel back that first clear layer that's there. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Father, as we hold the bread in our hands, we thank you. We thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. It's not because of anything that I did or that I deserved or earned, but it's only because your mercy, Jesus, that you died for us. So as we share in the bread, we're reminded of your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, let's share in the bread together. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Father, we thank you for this cup that represents the shed blood of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that because of your sacrifice, there's forgiveness. So I don't have to be defined anymore by the things that I've done or have been done to me. Thank you, Jesus, that there's healing for my body, for my emotions, for my spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that in you we can find life And so we remember and we thank you as we share in this cup together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's share in the cup. And Father, today I thank you for your word that reminds us that wherever we are, whatever we've done, however life has been, that you are one who comes to us and says, in me you will find life. And so, Lord, this next week, would these words stay with us? Father, if there are jars that we need to leave behind, Lord, would you help us to not just say that today, but that we would live it out this week and in the days ahead? Father, would you guide us with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.